Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. This episode of the CMO Podcast is part of our Leadership During Crisis series. For these short episodes, I am inviting back previous guests see how they are leading during the pandemic, how they are addressing new challenges, and how they are providing for their consumers, their employees, and the public during these unprecedented times. My guest on this episode of Leadership During Crisis, part of the CMO podcast series, is Raja Rajamanar. He is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and President of the Healthcare Business at the Payments Powerhouse MasterCard. This is a most interesting conversation. Raja's in the middle of how spending is shifting in this health and economic crisis, what he feels is permanent and what's not, what trends he sees in companies and with consumers. This is my very interesting conversation with Raja. Raja, welcome back to the CMO podcast. You were such a good guest several months ago. I recommend all of our listeners to listen to our hour-long podcast This one will be shorter and more focused on what's going on now in your life, in the payments world, in healthcare. And I want to start with you. How are you doing professionally and personally? Wonderful. Firstly, Jim, thank you very much for having me again on your podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, And, you know, I think this was a very interesting journey. I started hating it. Then I slowly started getting used to it. And now I'm actually loving it. So now I'm dreading to go back to work in New York because I got used to (laughs) the comforts of working from home. The rhythm has been well set. And I think I I found my cadence at home. So I'll have to now again reframe when I get back. But right now I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So what are you enjoying about it? What's different about how you're working other than the obvious things about being remote, et cetera? So first and foremost, I'm able to spend a lot of time with my dogs. Uh, secondly, with my families in that order. Uh, the third one, I think, is I really enjoy eating good food, I realized. And because I'm a vegan, you don't have any exotic options all the time outside. And my wife is a very good cook. And she makes the spicy Indian food. And that's what I'm really enjoying three times a day. And when you talk of putting on weight, I guess I have already put on a lot of weight, but I'm not regretting one bit yet. What what other changes in your life? You're having meals with your family. You're walking your dogs more. You're kind of eating more of your favorite food. Anything else that is a significant change in your life that may not be obvious? 
Yeah, uh, I have started two things. Uh, first and foremost, I'm now taking Spanish lessons. And I'm able to now read short paragraphs and understand them, which is good. I'm also able to write. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm able to already write some small emails in three or four lines with grammatical errors, but the other person at least understands what I'm trying to say. So that's been a wonderful thing, I guess. And I promise to myself and to my Latin American team that I'll do the fourth quarter town hall with them in Spanish. So when you make a public commitment, you are stuck with it. You damn well deliver it, which is what I'm trying to do. So that's number one. Uh, the second one is, uh, you know, normally I do meditation once a day. And I find it very uh, relaxing, centering, grounding, and calming. Uh, now I'm doing it twice a day. And uh, as I'm doing this a second time a day, I'm also doing something which is very fascinating, which is I'm writing a book. Uh, and putting my thoughts together and see where the future of marketing will go in my perspective. So that's the book I'm writing. And I have finished already the first full draft of 17 chapters all in, in a very short time. So now I'll have to flesh it out and then, uh, you know, hoping that by the beginning of next year, it'll be published. When did you begin the book? I began the book in installments. So the first installment I started was over the uh, winter winter vacation. Uh, and I was sitting at home and trying to put some thoughts and just, you know, uh, structure of the book. But the writing of the book itself, I started uh, when I, probably it's about three and a half or four weeks back. And uh, going pretty prolific, I'm writing about 6,000 words a day, which is not too bad. And uh, I do it dictating and I'm walking up and down uh, driving everyone in home crazy and uh, <laughs> dictating the whole thing. And Otter is a wonderful software I have found which converts the voice into text. And that's speeded up and really brought in efficiency to what I'm doing. So I'm very excited about this project. This has been a passion project for me. And uh, so it's a Spanish and it's writing my book. Those are the two very new things. Good, good for you. Now, listen, I've done two books and I've learned that the, the, the toughest thing about the books is putting, is the title... And then the one sentence reason a reader should buy the book. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a title yet? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. But give me, give me the one sentence reason someone should buy this book and spend their time with it. See, I think marketing is changing so dramatically. And I think in the last few years, marketing has been marginalized in many companies. Uh, and I think we haven't been able to, as a profession and as a community, connect the dots between what marketing does, how marketing is done today, that opposed to 20 years back, and connect the dots to the business results. And there is an existential crisis without too much of an exaggeration, right? Uh, but that's that's where it is going. And I think if you want to stay relevant for tomorrow, you better read my book. That would be my one. I line. will. I will. <laughs> You've got me. I'm hooked. I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll help you with the title. We can collaborate on that. Absolutely. More than that, if you can write a preview on my book or a commentary <laughs> right, on that. Go. So now that's, that's real negotiation. Let's make it happen. That'd be a No wonderful. problem. I'll, I will do both. I will <laughs> do both. Thank you, Jim. So listen, uh, one other question about yourself before jumping into uh, MasterCard and what's going on now in the world. Um, how are you leading differently? You have a big remit. You have a global job. You look over the healthcare business as well. So how has this last eight or 10 weeks made a difference in how you lead? So I would say it has been very different. Uh, firstly, I have to assume two personalities, one for healthcare and one for marketing and communications. 
both are very different animals and we are in different life cycles on both these areas. So per se, I have to be different. Uh, as far as the marketing and communications is concerned, I had to be a much much more uh, a leader who is in high touch, who can't high contact, nurturing, uh, and trying to comfort people, give them confidence, give them a sense of reassurance that their jobs are all stable. Thankfully, you know, uh, my boss, who is uh, the CEO of the company, he went on an internal podcast to say that we will not do any layoffs because of COVID. Now, that is an unbelievably reassuring feeling for people. And so one of the first things that I had to do is to really make sure that people understood what that clearly meant, that they don't have to worry about their existence, uh, you know, and whether they will lose their job or whatever. Uh, and try to tell them also, saying it's absolutely okay for you to really balance your life between your personal demands, personal life demands, and your professional demands. Uh, and, you know, we, are, we have to understand that there are many of them. Like, for example, Elisa, she has got two small children, and the children don't care whether you have a conference call. If they want attention, they want attention. If they feel like crying, they cry. So we have to be accommodating and supporting of each other and recognize that first and foremost, we are human beings and people and secondarily professionals. So the professionalism should not overshadow the fact that you are having families and all that. So trying to tell people and making reassuring them and things like that, I think that's what I'm doing a lot of it. And uh, also the other part of it is, uh, like every company, I guess, we had to tighten our belts as far as our campaigns and uh, you know marketing spend is concerned during this time. Uh, and from that point of view, it can be very uh, uh, demotivating for a marketer when their budgets are sort of shrinking. And I had to make sure that they don't feel that way. So this was the nurturing side or the leading more from a, you know, as an individual. On the other side, which is for the healthcare, it is much more, uh, uh, you know, I would say like a business driven. Uh, because this is the opportunity where healthcare has really got to be uh, helped. And we have got some solutions that we developed. Now we're going actively to the hospitals and to the insurance companies and tell them, hey, here is the solutions. Here is a great opportunity. Here is what you have to do. So I'm focusing a lot more from a business development and creating opportunities on the healthcare side. So they are very, very different kind of approaches. So plus healthcare, I've got a very small team. So it's easier to keep in touch very regularly. Whereas with the marketing and communications with those folks spread out in 110 countries, it's a different challenge. And we had to find a new cadence for that. Do you have any rituals? Well, first of all, I should say you referred to Alyssa, who's, uh, who works for you. And she's a former colleague of mine at P&G. And we were catching up before the podcast. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And, and, I, and, and I heard her children in the background. So for our <laughs> listeners, Alyssa is is on the call, but she's sort of a silent partner, but it was really good to catch up with her. Uh, good to know that. <laughs> yeah, we used to work together. So uh, what what rituals do you have to stay connected with your marketing people in 110 countries? Are you doing, you know, check-ins every week, every other, every other day? I mean, what rituals could our listeners learn from? So with most of my direct reports, I try to establish at least one contact every day. Uh, and just check out, check on them, how they are doing. Do they need any help? And uh, uh, you know, to make sure that they are doing well. Uh, with my whole leadership group uh, across all the regions uh, and globally, so I've got about twenty people. So this group we connect uh, twice every week. Uh, so that's something which we do. And the third one is with my entire team. 
uh, up and down the chain of command, we have got every alternate week a global call uh, that they dial into and then listen. It is recorded so that those pay, uh, places where which are at night, middle of the night, like Australia, Japan, and so on. So those folks, they can uh, listen to it thereafter. So these are the uh, what you call uh, touch points that I have got. But additionally, what I'm also trying to do my best is to try to give directly calls to people uh, irrespective of uh, you know where they are in terms of the hierarchy but to make sure just to call them up and say hey how are you etc it i think it is very reassuring to them on the one hand and it's also very meaningful to them to me uh, because uh, it, it's always good to know what they are uh, feeling, how they are uh, doing, because they are killing themselves throughout the year uh, to make the company look good. And now it is a time for the company to make sure that they are well taken care of. No, it's not. It's well said. Now you're in the payments business, right? And you're in the yeah. healthcare side of the payment. So your lens on the world at these times is very interesting. So I know we've only been in this, I don't know, two and a half months. But, and this is all speculation, but what do you think are some trends you're seeing from people, from consumers, and also from companies, from enterprises, big and small, that you think will extend beyond this current very intense economic and health crisis? What habits and practices do you think are shifting? And I know this is speculation, but it's interesting. Yeah. See, one of the things that we do regularly is to understand uh, the spending patterns of people because we do have transaction data, though it is anonymized and aggregated. We know, okay, like for example, this particular category, like say groceries, is shooting through the roof. Online uh, sales are going through the roof for certain, certain categories. Uh, obviously, airlines and hotels and car rentals, they have really uh, you know come to a standstill, grinding halt, literally. So we got that kind of a thing. And I think it's sort of intuitively, it's very easy to understand uh, you know, why it is so. So there are no big, big surprises as to the pullback in terms of the spend. Uh, and I think a lot of reports have been done, so I'll only be uh, repeating what is already written. But what is more interesting is what trends are we beginning to notice just as some markets which have been earlier impacted, but now their uh, cycle is coming closer, hopefully to an end, uh, like, for example, China, Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, etc. These markets are actually beginning to show uh, some a very interesting dynamic. On the one hand, uh, there is a spurt in luxury goods. So people probably have held themselves back. Now that the thing is sort of getting over, they come out and they want to indulge themselves a little bit. So probably that's the psychology with which it's happening. So luxury goods, definitely there is an uptick. Uh, restaurants, whatever sales were happening were more mostly uh, takeaways. Uh, but we are again seeing that the restaurants are beginning to uptake even beyond the takeaways. So people are getting confidence to come in and sit in, etc. Nowhere near the capacities where they were before, both from a social distancing point of view and also the emotional comfort of people, do they feel comfortable or not. Uh, metros and the local transportation, again, it's sort of coming back up. Uh, so basically, you see that the lifestyle is beginning to slowly, slowly normalize in some markets. So we actually look at it saying that you know, basically, uh, as there are good news that keep coming up, uh, saying that, okay, they, either the ad hospital admissions are coming down or the incident of death is coming down, etc. The sentiment improves and the sentiment actually uh, makes people feel more confident to spend. That's one sect of people. 
The other set is there are a lot of people also who have actually they have lost their jobs or they have been on furloughs and they are still on furloughs. And that naturally suppresses and depresses your spend. And a very evident, uh, that's the very clear, uh, you know, where you see. Uh, and the last one I would say is uh, areas like uh, healthcare spending. Uh, we are seeing for the first time probably a level of uh, people getting into health and well-being that is preventative uh, kind of things. But like you have heard before we started the, uh, you know, uh, the session uh, when Elisa was saying that she bought a Peloton. So it's people are becoming a lot more conscious of their health and well-being, and they're beginning to invest. They're taking time, whether it is things like meditation courses or yoga lessons or exercises, etc. Uh, but it's not translating into their eating, surprisingly. People are sitting at home, and I think you yourself have mentioned that you have become now a baking expert at baking cakes, right? And when you bake cakes, you eat it. So that's probably not very healthy all the time. But That's the, correct. The point is, the point is, there is that level of a dichotomy. So where it comes to certain habits, people are investing and they are trying to stay healthy. In other cases, they are indulging and splurging a little bit. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now, what do you see happening with uh, the payment industry, which was already accelerating toward all sorts of easy ways to pay? The whole contact-free payment, you know, is obviously on people's mind now. So if you look out three years, what do you see the most dramatic effect on your industry? I think the penetration of digital payments will be dramatically higher, right? And uh, as a overall category, digital payments will go up. Uh, which means instead of cash or instead of check, it'll be more electronic payments or digital payments. That's number one. Number two, even within that digital, you will find contactless will be much, much higher. Uh, already we are seeing in places where we have launched contactless, there is so much of uh, adoption uh, beyond normally how it, uh, you know, the adoption rates are, there is a significant step jump of how people are adopting it. This is across the entire industry. I'm not just talking for, about MasterCard only. Uh, and in response to actually the consumer demand, in fact, we had gone uh, and increased the limits for contactless transactions in many countries around the world. And people are really welcoming that. So what will happen is partly aided by the actions of the banks or the networks there'll be a uh, push in terms of adoption of these contactless payments and payments and uh, digital payments in general. And the secular trend has been very positive right now. Uh, and not only that, and when governments and the health organizations are saying cash is dirty uh, because it carries the germs and it's passing hands so and the germs can live on the currency notes for quite a bit. So from that point of view, it is a safety kind of a thing. Now, but I have to be very careful that that's not the platform with which we want to go. And say so cash is dirty, so use card. It looks so self-serving. 
and the whole purpose is defeated and we don't want to be seen as self-serving. We will, of course, get the benefit when there is this kind of a secular trend change, uh, but uh, we, we are trying to enable it very uh, appropriately as we speak right now. So I think it, it's going to be uh, far more uh, spread in terms of the uh, usage of digital payments and contactless not only in uh, the developed markets, but also in the uh, developing markets around the world. If I can just add one other point is uh, the lot of people who have not been used to make online purchases before, this has been for them a trial by force. They didn't have any choice. They have to learn how to do online purchases, etc. That might look like a silly statement in the context of maybe United States, but it's true that there are many, many, many people around the world a vast majority actually, who don't feel comfortable shopping online. And in this time, it is a forced trial for them. And once they have discovered the security, the ease uh, and the convenience and so on, people are saying, wow, I can do that going forward. So that's going to be a significant change as well. You have been such a practitioner of purpose in your career, and you certainly brought a lot of energy to MasterCard. And I want you to talk about the role of purpose now. You know, and how has that changed at MasterCard in the midst of this health and economic crisis? What is more important, less important? What's the state of activation of your purpose at MasterCard? How has that changed in the midst of this crisis, if at all? Yeah. So firstly, I think uh, purpose cannot be contextual. So depending on what happens, if your purpose keeps changing it, probably it is more an objective or a cause and not really a purpose. So purpose has got some sense of permanency. Uh, so our purpose has not changed. We want to really uh, you know, do well as a company by doing good in the society. And we have defined what that good is in multiple ways, right? And our brand positioning, we say, is connecting people to priceless possibilities. Now, what we are trying to do is to make that manifest a little differently in this environment. Uh, so, and how are we doing it? So, for example, when we looked at very quickly an environmental scan saying that what are the areas where we can meaningfully bring our assets and our competencies and resources to the table and make a difference? The first thing is money, of course. So money part of it, what, what we did is we created, uh, uh, you know, a $250 million pool uh, specifically for taking care of the situation from as our contribution. And we have decided to focus that entire $250 million against small businesses. So small businesses are the ones which are hurting like crazy. Uh, and they don't have the staying power. They live upon their revenues. And literally, it's month to month, week to week, day to day. And if they don't have revenues, they, they just will shut down, which it is happening. So we said, is there anything that we can do? And so we are trying to see how this $250 million, it's it's a drop in the ocean of what the requirement is. But to use it in very thoughtful ways where they are either seeds to create an action or to create a process and help them get their revenue, whatever. So this is one part of it. The second one, what we have also done is we said, look, we have been talking about gender diversity all the time and gender pay, pay differences which are there. We have bridged them completely. We never had them in, a, in a, any significant way to begin with, but even that we have been acting upon and so on. Now what we said is we will also not lose sight of that. So we have made a public commitment that we will go and reach out to 1 million women entrepreneurs and provide them with whatever support we can, whether it is mentorship, whether it is resources, whether it is tools and things like that. So that's the second part of it. 
And we have also said that uh, our objective will be to reach 25 million, but immediately we'll go to at least 1 million people. So that's number two. So small businesses. Uh, the other thing for small businesses is this is the time, unfortunately, the fraudsters are most active and they hack into people's computers and systems and all that stuff. So what we are doing is we said, normally what we do is when we go with our cybersecurity solutions, uh, we do it uh, you know, for a fee. But what we said is this time around for the small businesses till the end of this year, if they want to get the, any you know, their uh, health checkup, cyber health checkup, and any advice and all that stuff, we said we'll do it free of cost. So this is on the small businesses. The second area we said we'll focus on is on healthcare workers. For healthcare workers, we are doing two things. Number one, we are having multiple partnerships in many countries to give the uh, healthcare workers and or their families with free meals. So we are partnering with certain organizations and we have got some celebrity chef ambassadors. So partnering with all these folks, what we are trying to do is to uh, you know, contribute meals. Uh, and uh, we are, for example, in the US, we have got a partnership with Lyft who delivers those meals. Uh, in London, in France, uh, we have got partnership with uh, Uber Eats. So we are trying to do that's one area. The second area where we are trying to focus on is uh, in terms of giving them free rides. So again, Lyft is here uh, in the US and then we have got a company called Bolt, for example, in Georgia or Bitaxi, which is there in uh, Turkey. So we're partnering with these kind of folks and then trying to see how we can support in a meaningful way that is relevant uh, because we don't have boatloads of money to splurge everywhere. So we had to be very thoughtful and focused. So we said these are the two areas we'll focus on healthcare, free meals and free rides, and we'll focus on uh, small businesses. Uh, you know, So that, that's how we are approaching uh, the entire effort. And one last thing I would say is from a healthcare point of view, we have joined hands with uh, uh, Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation and Welcome Group, and we collectively created a $125 million fund to have accelerated testing of the drugs that are right now in clinical trials. So this is accelerated therapeutics. That's what uh, the whole initiative is. So that's another area that we are getting involved in. So we're not losing sight of our North Star or our purpose, but we are trying to manifest it in a way that is contextually very appropriate right now. You acted very quickly. You pivoted very fast. That's a lot of purposeful activity, activation that is consistent with priceless possibilities that you've done in 10 weeks. Yeah, I'm blessed to have an amazing team who are passionate to begin with. They buy into our purpose and they are absolutely agile and nimble. And uh, so I think it's all, it always helps to have an amazing team. And I feel very blessed. They have been really acting on it rapidly. What is one piece of advice you would offer our listeners as leaders in their organization during this time? See, I think, uh, I'll, can I give two pieces of advice? You can, you can give two. Okay. The first one is, I think, you know, we demand so much from our, from our employees around the year. I think this is the time when we have to be with them. And I think every single uh, marketing leader, I'd say, you have to be with your people, help them, make them feel good, make them feel reassured. Uh, that would be one part of it. The second part of it is, this is the time, particularly if you're in a B2B kind of an environment, uh, or even in a B2C environment for that matter, uh, sometimes, you know, when you are with your people at times of their distress and support them, they will stick back with you when the times are good. 
if you ignore them or if you are exploitative at this point in time, they will remember. And I think this is the moment where you can build or break trust. Use this opportunity to build that trust. And I'll give you one simple personal example. And I felt so uh, amazed. I said, how can this be? Then this, what is this company even thinking? I'll not name the company, but it's a well-known, uh, you know, a company which supplies, uh, you know, a lot of things online. And uh, they have, uh, I, I ordered for some, know, what do you call, uh, a stand for, uh, an iPad because I'm doing so many calls and everything. I wanted to stand for my iPad. And they said the iPad was $65, which is okay, fine. And they said shipping, $211. I said, my jaw dropped. I said, $211? No, but then if I don't do it, they'll say it will be delivered after six weeks. So this oh. is like price gouging. Exploiting, exploiting. Exploiting. You should never yeah. do that. Now I know when I come out of it, which is the first company I'm going to walk away from as a customer. It, mm-hmm. It's not probably I won't make it that of a dent to as an individual consumer, but as a representative consumer, this is not how you treat your consumers. And but when you stand by them, they're grateful to you, and they will do everything to support you when the times are good. Beautiful advice, Raja. I want to end this brief podcast with a fun question. You you're, you're learning Spanish. You've written this book very quickly. You're eating better. What 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 of these habits will you carry forward? as life gets more normalized? I will carry on learning Spanish. That's for sure. I'll carry on my meditation. Uh, I will uh, carry on, I think, spending a lot more uh, touch base with my family. Uh, like, for example, at this point, before COVID, I would touch base with my uh, and a wife, for example, once early in the morning and once late in the evening, in between, etc. But I find there is a different kind of a uh, bonding that happens uh, and a depth of relationship that forms when you are, even if it's for shorter duration, even for like two minutes, multiple touch points throughout the day has got a very different impact it on does. the quality of the relationship than having two chunks at the end of the day. So that's one thing I'm going to carry it forward. And we should say in, in normal life, your home base is Cincinnati, but your office is in the Northeast. So you, you, you have worked re- remotely for many years. So that's what, for our listeners, that's what he means by touching base in the morning and the evening. Yep, that's true. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. It's, it's the serendipitous little things that happen when you're around. So true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, it's so good to talk with you again. You look well, and thanks for what you're doing. Uh, it's just, it's very inspiring, Raja, as you always are. Thank you for being generous with your time. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. And coming from you, I'll really be uh, taking it as a big compliment. You made my day. Thank you so very much and uh, stay well and be safe. That was my conversation with Raja Rajamanar. What I loved about this one is how Raja as a person and as a leader is taking this pause in life in many ways during this health and economic crisis to, to enjoy more meals with his wife, to write a book, to learn Spanish. Raja had a profound and perhaps obvious thought. He said in times like this, It's incumbent on leaders and brands to build trust, not break trust. Build trust with employees. Don't break trust with employees. This is the time when leaders and brands and companies show their real stuff. And Raj's advice on that is priceless. That's it for this episode of our Leadership During Crisis series. We hope you enjoyed this follow-up episode and found value and insight into how these leaders and brands are operating during this pandemic. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, I would be so grateful if you shared it with your friends. 
And if you gave the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, subscribe to the show and get notified every time we publish a new episode. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.